thing I can only imagine. <laughs> but that changed this morning. So um, I'm going to sing um, God Speaking, which I've sung years and years ago. I told Thomas I haven't sung it since the last time I sang it. So um, y'all listen to this, um, and it's just about God's love for us. Have you ever heard a love song that sets your spirit free? Have you ever watched a sunrise and felt you could not breathe? What if it's Him? What if it's God speaking? Have you ever cried a tear that you could not explain? Have you ever met a stranger who already knew your name? What if it's him? What if it's God speaking? Who knows how he'll get a hold of us? Get our the proof he is enough. He'll do and he'll use whatever he wants to to tell us I love you. Have you ever lost a loved one? Who you thought should still be here Do you know what it feels like To be tangled up in fear What if it's us somehow involved What if he's speaking through it all Who knows how he'll get a hold of us to put his enough he'll do and he'll use whatever he wants to to tell us I love you his ways are higher his ways
And praise the Lord for it. And he's called us here on purpose. We've, he made an appointment with us and said, when we gather together in his name, two or more of us, that he'd be here. And he's here. And uh, we're here to celebrate it. And, and thank you for being here. I'm, I'm sure you've had a busy week with the revival and, and work and, and things that are going on in your lives. And then the, the, uh, the women's conference yesterday that, that Phyllis Elvington led. Uh, so there's been a lot going on. It's my prayer that God's been in the very center of it and you felt his movement. Uh, he's a God so incredible. And I, I, before I share the message, I want to thank you. You prayed for me. I was gone for a, a week or so to Armenia, and, and God moved in a special way. Uh, especially Saturday afternoon, we met a pastor in a village called Martikert that's in the, the region of uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, which used to be in the hands of Azerbaijan. Now it's in the hands of Armenia. So it's a disputed territory. And uh, we were talking with the pastor, and, and he, he prayed with us in a most powerful way. Before he did that, he shared that he had spent seven years, seven years, praying every single day that God would open the door and give him the ability to, to preach uh, openly in, in that village and that God would move. And uh, God did. Uh, a few years ago, he opened the door, and this, this fella, uh, Armin is his name, he started a church. Seven years praying every day. And I, I stood there in awe thinking, I, you know, what have I prayed that diligently for in my life? Honestly, seven years every single day pouring out his, his heart. And, uh, and then he said, because one of our pastors asked a question like you know, we Americans would do. He said, well, what, what do you need? Well, this guy was talking about money. Is there something we can give you that you can need or that you can use? And the guy said, yeah, yeah, there is. We need 150 prayer warriors for every single village in Nagorno-Karabakh. I want to sign out one prayer warrior to every single village that they will pray for a movement of revival within the church, a revival that will spread through the entire village, and then that they will pray for peace in Karabakh. And I thought, and this guy thinks he's going to hand him a few hundred dollars and answer his needs. And this guy's got a vision for his entire region of a, of a country that's at war. The battle line was like five miles away from where we were. They're not fighting today, but you know, it's like North and South Korea. That's, that's where the line is. 
And I was humbled to be in the presence of somebody uh, like that. So when he said he prayed for seven years every day, and then he prayed for us a few minutes later, I understood the kind of prayer he's talking about. This isn't a God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food kind of thing. Uh, this gentleman prayed down heaven. And we, we walked away, and I looked at that same pastor. I said, now, hang on a minute before we go any further. And you think we're going to give this guy something? He just gave us a, the greatest gift anybody could give through, through prayer. And so, uh, again, I get back to when God's in the middle of something, uh, amazing things happen. And a lot of times it's not stuff you can write on paper, uh, but you sense his movement and, you, movement and you sense his spirit. And uh, so in, in a time of revival, in a time of a, of a women's conference, in a time of worship, in a time of praise, uh, our hearts cry out to God. Just like we sang in the beginning, uh, Lord, I, I need you. Every, every hour, uh, I need you. And that's what we're crying out today. Dear God, I, I need you. I need you. So before we go to the scripture, let's go again to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, that you are our deepest need and you meet our deepest needs through your own self. God, help us to sense and to see what you're doing in life. And then, God, as we leave from here, help us to be that, that hot flame whose warmth draws people to you. And God, we thank you as we offer this prayer in the holy, uh, precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're like me, sometimes you, you wonder, you know, are we going to get where we, we want to go? Are we doing the right things? And, and then we'll do that self-reflection thinking, well, how am I doing along my journey? Uh, I heard the, the story earlier in life, 20, 30 years ago, uh, a man was talking about a Negro opera singer, Roland Hayes, who I don't know Roland Hayes. I've looked him up on, on the Internet and, and read some of his story. But about 70, 80 years ago, prior to World War II, he was one of, if not the first great African-American opera singer. Well, in Roland's story, he talks about before the war being in London, and he was supposed to perform before the crown heads of the British Empire. So all of them are there, and this, this you know, black guy from Georgia you know, is going to sing. And, and in his story, he said, I was just absolutely terrified. I mean, this is the who's who of the British Empire, and, and these are people you know, with real crowns. And he said he sent a cable back to his mom telling her how terrified he was and, and how inadequate he felt. And his mom just responded back, and she said, Roland, remember who you are. Now, he's just a poor black guy from Georgia is who he technically was. But his mama, as he tells the story, his mom raised him to understand that he was a child of the king. So Roland said, I'm looking at these guys and ladies of the crown heads of the British Empire and thinking, y'all are kings on earth. I'm a child of the real king. And so then he sang. And he said it wasn't hard after I remembered who I was. Well, I've, I've remembered that story for 30-some years since I heard Landrum Level, the president of New Orleans Seminary, uh, share 
you know, that, that part of the story. And as Christians and more locally as, as Southern Baptists and as members of Conway Baptist Church and the community, other surrounding churches, it's important for us to remember who we are. We are a child of the King. We're children of the, the infinite King, not just citizens of the United States or, or whatever county or, or town or, or countryside we live in. We're children of the living God. And in looking at the Scripture in Matthew, I want to share a couple of passages. They're similar, but they're, they're separated in, in Jesus' ministry. But they're things He's telling us to do and so today, for us to remember what He wants us to do and who we are. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then in, in Matthew chapter 28, the last verses in the book of Matthew, beginning with verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And when you, you think about harvest time, and in Matthew 9, Jesus is, is looking out at the, the city and he he sees the multitude and he tells his followers, the fields are white to harvest, the harvest is coming. And then in Matthew 28, he sends us out to make disciples and he's still really talking about harvest. And harvest is this time of celebration, this time of joy. When you think about the mission of the church and, and who we are as followers of Jesus Christ and the world we live in, sometimes we don't look at it and think that there's a, a harvest coming. We see the, sometimes the cold and the dark. But who we are is a people that God's raised up as a warmth and as a light in that world. I was reading this and preparing for today, and God took me back a week ago when we were in Armenia. You know, it's, it's not, it wasn't cold, cold. It was kind of like today, a little bit cooler than today. But they don't have central heat. They've got, you know, the, the radiators, and they don't really work that, not like these. They don't, they don't work like that. You know, so you'd walk into a church building, and it's cold. And so what we ended up doing, the, the, us, um, we Americans, when we walked in, and there'd be one little radiator thing over here, and it, 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 just, it wasn't much. So when we walk in the door on those cold afternoons to meet the pastors and meet the leaders, we came through the front doors of the church, and we went zap right to the radiator. And whatever little bit of heat there was, we were, st we literally we're standing right there at it. And they're over on the other side kind of laughing at us, thinking, you silly people, it isn't that cold. 
but we were drawn to the warmth of that radiator. What Jesus Christ is saying to his followers today is that we ought to be just like that radiator in a cold, dark world. That if we're doing what he would have us do, people are going to be drawn in our world to us just like we were as cold visitors drawn to that radiator. People are going to be drawn to the warmth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, is everybody going to come running? Not necessarily. But in a time of darkness and a time of cold and a time of stress and struggle, people are going to be drawn to where there's an answer. And Jesus in Matthew 9 is looking out at the villages, and, and again, this is what he said. He saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion for them, for they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then in Matthew 28, he sends his followers out to be the salt and light. So if we, as, as people gathered together today from, from different cities in our area and, and maybe different states, what are we to do? How are we going to make a difference? How are we going to be that warmth that draws people? And if we're going to do something, we really need to do it now. I believe in drawing from this scripture, there's some things that, that we've got to remember. And, and first of all, what we do for Jesus Christ has got to be born out of a conviction. Now, a conviction and an opinion are two different things. An opinion is something you hold. You know, I've got an opinion that I like beef and you got an opinion that you like chicken. That's a preference. That's an opinion. Same thing with temperature. You know, I might have an opinion that 72 degrees is the right temperature, and you've got an opinion that 68 or 76 is right. Those are opinions. A conviction, on the other hand, is something that grips you. An opinion can be pushed aside, ignored, or changed. A conviction will change you. And what Jesus is asking of his followers is that we, we have some things that are born in a conviction. A conviction that, that can't be changed. And first of all, as Jesus is looking here in, in Matthew 9, and he's looking out at the people, the conviction he had as the Savior coming to the world is a conviction he would have you and me have, and that is, first of all, that people without Christ are lost. They're lost. That John 14, 6 really is true when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If people don't know Jesus Christ, they, they really honestly are lost. So as believers, here's the question. Do we have convictions that wake us up in the morning that when we get up out of the bed and we put our feet on the floor that there's something that drives us, something that grips us, something that's unchanging, something that we're not going to compromise. It's not just an opinion that somebody can argue and convince us differently, but something that we live and breathe every day. And if we've got a conviction that, that people without Christ are lost... 
then we're not going to go through life as ho-hum, blase, unconcerned people. The people who do not know Jesus Christ really are lost. You know, Jesus looks out at these people, and it says he's moved with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. A sheep without a shepherd is going to wander through the hillsides, and they're eventually going to die because they're not going to find all that much grass on their own. Not in the, the barren terrain of the Middle East of, of that day. They can't. They're lost. So people without Christ are lost. So as a believer, is that a question that, that gets us up in the morning? A second conviction, on top of the fact that people without Christ are lost, is that hell is real. There really is a place of reward, which is heaven, and a place of punishment that's hell. The story of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus recounts in Luke 16, that's a parable, but that's a real story. That a guy's living here on earth, and he's got everything he wants out of this life, and then he dies, and he, in that scripture, he goes to hell, and he's, he's separated from the, the beggar, Lazarus, who's gone in Scripture in Luke 16, says Abraham's bosom, but, but Lazarus is up in, in heaven in the place of reward, and the, the rich man's looking, and he's, he's crying out, Hey, will you please just let him come dip his finger in, in water and cool my tongue? And the answer is, no. There's a chasm between where you are as the rich man who had everything you wanted and your, your life on earth was what you invested in and now you got what you got. Lazarus, on the other hand, is in a place of reward. Heaven and hell. And there's a chasm between the two that you can't cross after the fact. So if people without Christ are lost, and we really are convicted of that fact, and if hell really is real, and we're convicted of that fact, it's going to change how we behave. We'll behave differently, and it, it's not going to be out of, out of anger and hostility, and you know, we're never going to draw people to the warmth of Jesus Christ by being hateful people. That's not how it's, it's going to work. That pastor I, I shared with you in, in Armenia, as he told his story, and, and I mentioned that Azerbaijan and Armenia, for about 30 years they've been fighting. What, what happened, the Soviet Empire, Lenin and then Stalin, they arbitrarily decided this isn't part of Armenia anymore, we're going to give this land to Azerbaijan. So for all of that, that empire until the Soviet Empire crumbled, that's the way it was. When the enforcer of the Soviet Empire crumbled, well, guess what? Those borders were no longer what they were going to live by. So that's when, the, in 1988, is when the conflict started. And in 99, is when it exploded, right, you know, right at the dissolution of the Soviet Empire. And this pastor, Armin, talked in his testimony about how when he was at a conference somewhere in, in Europe, 1,200 people... And he encountered this guy who was an Azerbi soldier from Azerbaijan. And the two of them talked and prayed together. 
Now, that's, that's enemies, enemies whose countries are at war with each other. And so when this guy tells me he's praying for prayer warriors for each village, I, I believe him. He's not trying to hate those people. He's trying to reach those people. And Jesus looked out at the villages and, and he had a, a love for those people because he understood their eternal destiny. You know, this life is not all there is. So it's born in a conviction. But it's also fueled by conception, an understanding. A conception, first of all, of the brevity of time. Scripture says that a person's allotted days are three score and ten, seventy years. So by reasons of health, maybe eighty. Uh, my granddad lived to be a hundred, so that's longer than normal, but it's still not forever. We're not going to live forever. Time is brief. Well, if we've got a conviction that people without Christ are lost and a conviction that hell is real and a conception of just how brief time is, then we're going to do something today about that, aren't we? We're going to do what we can do. We're not going to put it off forever because we understand our time on life is limited. And so what we need to do we best do right now. On the airplane, I watched the, the movie uh, Churchill is talking about or showing about Winston Churchill and the discussion about the D-Day invasion. And there, the quote that was not in there is one that I've always remembered. And I'll, those of you who may have heard it on the news you know, back in, in uh, 1944 would remember it better than, than I. But what happened with all of the, the weather issues and the, the rough seas and the overcast so that the airplanes couldn't fly, there was a, a decision-making process for days and weeks about when's the invasion actually going to be. So then, in the first days of June in 1944, the chief meteorologist came with the report. You know, there's a, there's a, a 24-hour window. And weather's not perfect, but it's, it's better than it's been. And after that 24-hour window, it, there may be a month or more before we're going to be able to get in and take those small landing craft across, across the English Channel and land on the beaches of Normandy. And the cost is going to be high. Some of the craft are going to be swamped, and some people will, will die before they ever get to land. And, and they, they, it was a grim forecast, but it was, it was accurate. And at the end of it, the story goes that, that Dwight Eisenhower said the cost of invasion are going to be high, but the cost of delay are going to be far higher. Therefore, we cannot delay. We must go now. And boy, there was a great cost. It was awful. But that's the day that the liberation of Europe began. And praise God that some people were willing to pay that cost. So if you and I have a conviction that people without Christ are lost and hell is real and a conception that time is brief, then we're going to be just like that, that landing force, that invasion force. We're going to do now what we can do. 
But there's another conception we've got to have, and that is the worth of a soul. What's it worth? What's it really worth to us? You know, one six or seven or ten-year-old child or, or 78-year-old man like my granddad when he was saved was 78. One person coming to the throne of Jesus Christ and bowing down and saying, I give my life to you, I surrender to you. It's worth everything Conway Baptist Church has ever spent in its history. One soul is of infinite worth. Do you understand that if it had only been you who was, deter- was on your way to hell, that Jesus Christ really would have come to rescue you? Now, that, that boggles my mind to think about it because you and I often are, are bigger picture people and we're thinking, well, you know, I, I'm not going to... I'll lay my life down for the crowd. But to lay my life down for an individual, well, hey, you know, my life for that life, that's one for one. Would I really do that? Is it worth it? Jesus Christ would have done it for you. That is how valuable a soul is to him. As he told the the shepherd story about a shepherd leaving the 99 in safety and going searching for the one, he was talking about you and me. I love you so much, he said, that I'll, I'll leave the crowd of sheep and I'll come for you. Really, those that image changes everything for the believer. Because we we do like to think about numbers. We like big numbers. But Jesus Christ is focused directly on the heart. Even one heart. You know, what's it worth to reach one? You know, we do the, the things we talked about today, two of them. You know, that, that child that you're going to reach out and save. Or the, the North American Missions offering that you're going to send a missionary to, to, to reach one or a handful. Is it really worth it? Oh, yes, it's worth it. It's worth it to Jesus Christ. So in, in this scripture, is in Matthew 9, Jesus is looking out and he's seeing the people and he's moved with compassion and he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Beseech, pray, beg, plead the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. He's talking to you and me, telling us to be the people to go out. Because we can't pray diligently for something that we're not willing to do, honestly. Because then we're just passing the buck or kicking the can down the road. And then in, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, when Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know that opening story about Roland Hayes when his mom said, Remember who you are. The one who sent us out is the one to whom all authority has been given. All. There's no bigger name. You know, our president right now is Donald Trump, whoever the next one is. They ain't got the authority Jesus Christ has got. He's the one with all authority. The president of the United States might be the most powerful person on earth, but they're not the most powerful in the world. Because that's Jesus. 
He's the one with the authority. And he's the one who sent us. So me being an ambassador of the United States, that's, a, that's an honorable thing to do. But being an ambassador of the infinite one, Jesus Christ, that's a whole lot more important. And that's who sent us. And he told us, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. A long, long time ago, there was a man by the name of Archimedes that, that one day had discovered as he was was researching, he discovered the principle of the lever and the fulcrum. And you you're, are familiar with that even if you don't know that. That's how a jack works. It's got a, a fulcrum that, that it, it pivots on, and you can put a, a little bit of force on a, on a lever, and, and you can jack up a 2,000-pound car. That's the part. That, there are other principles involved, but that's the principle of the lever and the fulcrum. You can take a solid, well-placed object and you can put a long stick underneath it and put that object in the right place and you can pick something up a lot bigger than you. That's what Archimedes discovered that day. And the story about him goes that once he'd understood that, he went out in the streets of his city and he was running all up and down and he was just screaming at the top of his lungs, Give me a place on which to stand and I'll move the world! Well, it's really true. If you had a place you could put a, you could put a, a, a fulcrum and had a long enough lever, that's right. He could flip the earth out into orbit if, if there was a place to put that fulcrum. The reality is for you and me, Jesus Christ is that place. And standing in the power of of the infinite creator of the universe, we can go out and move the world. But we'll only do it through Him. We will not do it on our own. So just like Archimedes, we ought to be running out through the streets of Conway and any other town we go to, proclaiming the glory and the infiniteness of Jesus Christ and how he can move the world. And yet in all of that glory and power. He loves Paul Langston and he loves you. Enough that he laid down his life to save me. And to save you. And that says a lot about those people out there who don't know him. Because he came for them. And he's told you and me. To go reach them. And in his power, we can. Bow together with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful. Thankful for the glory of serving you, for the great, great joy. Uh, you've called us and given us an infinite task. It's big. But you've given us the power to accomplish it. God, give us a conviction of, of what really is real. That people without you are lost and that hell's real. Give us a conception that we're not going to live forever and that people are of infinite value to you and that God then 
Give us a consecration to leave from here and your power guided by your spirit. And let us see, God, what you'll do. And we just want to bow before you to do that. We make that commitment to you now as we offer this prayer in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our hymn of commitment and invitation this morning is hymn 322, You Must Be Born Again. As we stand and sing, it's an opportunity to come. The altar's open, and if you're here this morning and you understand, as, as I've been sharing, that people without Christ are lost and hell is real, if you're here this morning and, and beginning to, to recognize that's where your future is right at this moment, then this is the day to change all that. Just come to the altar to Jesus Christ and say, uh-uh, I don't want to be lost anymore, and I don't want that kind of future. I want the future you prepared for me, not the future you, pre- you prepared for Satan and his demons. Because as you read Scripture, hell was prepared for Satan and his demons. We want to go to a place that's got our name on it, that he prepared for us. And so if you're here this morning in this time of invitation, just come. I'll be at the front to take you by the hand, or you can kneel right here at the altar, and it can be just you and God, and we can talk, talk later. But this is the moment for you to answer him. But if you're here this morning and you are a believer and, and you understand, well, you know, I've gone through life just going through the motions. I haven't really lived my life as if people were lost without Christ and on their way to hell, and time was brief and, and a soul was of infinite value. I focused on my own self and, and not reaching them. This is the day also of repentance. To say to the Lord, hey, I, all right, I'm letting go of all that stuff, and I just want to cling to you. Uh, this is the time to answer him as we stand together singing hymn, hymn 322.